All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans 8. You can stand for the reading. It's going to be on the screen, so... I could stop right here at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Aren't you glad for that non-condemnation status? Yes? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us, set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. However, I'm skipping down to verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Uh, From the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice something very carefully. The word live there is the Greek word zeo. It's not the Greek word bios. Two words for life in the Greek. Bios means your heart's beating and your, your lungs work, okay? Zeo is life as God has it. It's a different qualitative, okay? And sometimes when we hear the word eternal life, we only think of the duration. No, it's eternal life in the quality of life that God has it. God doesn't need anything. All right, he's never he's never down. He never has a bad day. He never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Right? He's not moody. Right? He never thinks that something outside of him will fulfill him. So that's a different kind of living. Okay, that's satisfied. The, in the English, we use this word in the King James a lot. Perfect. It doesn't mean morally blameless. The Greek word is teleos. It means complete, whole. God's desire for you is to be whole. Whole is when you're fulfilled. When you realize I have everything I need if I have God. When you realize that and live like that. Okay? God being my helper, I want to preach from this subject. Obligated to the Spirit. You are not obligated to the flesh. You are now obligated to the Spirit. Father, thank you for the Word. Thank you for our wonderful guests. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. She just moved out yesterday, so, so she's leaving me. My oldest is leaving me. And so I was trying to joke with her from, being, from not trying not to be sad about it. So while she was cleaning out all of her stuff, I said, take all that stuff when you go. You can't come back. I was joking. She can come back when she wants to. So we were having dinner. Was it Thursday night or Friday night? 
Yeah, we were having dinner, and so one of their favorite things is, is mashed potatoes and roast and carrots and all that. And so she's enjoying it, saying, it's so good, Mom. I said, this is your last supper. <laughs> it's your last supper, Judas. <laughs> hey, we have fun at my house. We have fun at my house. We've had some real conversations at that dinner table, I promise you. And that's one of the things I, I thank my wife for. She is celebrating with her, her cousin who's being rebaptized today in Gainesville, so she's unable to be here. But she insisted that we have dinner together. We have dinner together. You can't take dinner and go off into your room. No, 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 no. We're going to sit down as a family. We may not have breakfast and lunch together, but we have dinner together. Amen? And if that's not your tradition, while your kids are young, start it, okay? Start it. Because we had some great conversations because they'd come home and say, I heard this at school. And we were like, you heard what? <laughs> no, that's not the way it is, honey. <laughs> and so we had to correct a lot of mythology that they learn at school. So, um, but I'm celebrating with her. It's a nice place. It's safe. And I haven't convinced her to buy a gun yet, so. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. You ready? So what we learn from the cross is the cross changes our understanding and our evaluation of self. And if you're going to get anywhere with God, you have to accept his evaluation of your condition. You have to accept the bad news about your condition before you can hear the good news about what he'll do about it. A lot of people want to skip the bad news because the gospel is good news. Yes, it's good news to those who know they're lost. Right? He doesn't save the found. Okay? He doesn't heal the whole. He heals the sick. Right? He said, I was not sent to the whole but to the sick. So there has to be an admission that I am lost, right? I am lost. I can't save myself. And what the cross tells us is something is so aberrant about me that it took the death of the Son of God to rectify it. It's in me. It's not outside of me. It's not how I was raised. It's not something I can blame on someone else. It's in me. My heart is turned in on itself. I'm very self-absorbed by nature, Oh, I ain't going to get any amens on that? We got some work to do in here then. We're very self-absorbed. It's been in on itself, right? My desires, that's what I hear in the culture all the time. Your desires are the real you. Which desires is the real me? Because I, I want to do good and I, I, I want to, you know, do right and want to help people. But I also want to be a knucklehead sometimes too. So which desires are the real me? Well, just follow your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? You got to accept his evaluation of who you are. You're not going to get anywhere. I know you, go, you always defend it, don't you, when you really feel it. You're like, well, I'm, I'm not like Stalin or Hitler. Well, good news, you're not being compared to either of them. You're compared to a perfect man named Jesus. How do you match up against him? 
If you don't match up to him, you got work to do. You're a sinner. It's okay. I am too. I'm still a work in progress. That's not a demeaning. That's a true phrase. If you can't accept the truth about yourself, you can't accept the remedy. Oh, y'all don't want me to talk about it. It's all right. I'll just keep going, right? See, we have to accept that I'm incapable of changing myself regardless of how badly I desire change. Believe me, I was addicted to methamphetamine in the early 1990s. I wanted to change. There's nothing worse than waking up after you've been paid in cash on a Friday and have no money on Saturday. There's nothing worse than the hangover after three days being awake and then sleeping for a day. There's nothing worse than that. I wanted to change, but there's something about my nature that I couldn't change. Not until I admitted. See, see, I had all the excuses too. I had this dysfunctional home life and I, and I never knew my dad and so I had these pet things I could lay on something else. So it wasn't my fault. But my stepdad never gave me any drugs. I chose those on my own. And let me tell you if you have a drug problem. Drugs are not your problem. They are a remedy to another problem. And you, until you get underneath who you are and admit what that other problem is, you always want to do drugs. Mine was I didn't have any self-worth or self-value. And I had to get that from God. Because when God died for me on the cross, that said, you're so valuable, I'll give my son in place for your sins. That settled my value issue. I don't need drugs anymore. Let me just say, it's a lot easier to feel better than it is to be better. We as a culture are addicted to feeling better. We ask people, how do you feel? Who cares? How are you doing? That's what I want to know. Are you making little steps and little progress? Okay. I, I don't even think hap happiness, you know, that's one of our mottos in America. Pursue, pursuit of happiness. I, I don't even think that touches it. The question is, am I doing something meaningful that gives me significance? Because that's deeper than happiness. Happiness is about happenings. The world who has no faith can be happy when they get a raise. I've learned to be happy when they cut my pay. Oh, I don't think you heard me. I've learned that it doesn't affect my worship one way or another, whatever is happening around me, because I've got a good God who loves me and died for me and shed his blood for me. And so I can be happy without the happenings. I'm not subject to my circumstances. I'm not subject to it, right? We need intervention from outside, and that's what the cross says. You need intervention from outside. You need someone to save you. The, the just penalty incurred by the sins of the human race was paid by the death of Christ. The unfavorable verdict has been removed. Now, all those who are in Christ are the beneficiaries of that forgiveness, right? Think about this very carefully, and I'm going to help you here. It follows logically that if condemnation as an objective reality. Now, you understand what objective is. That's real, regardless of your feelings, right? That's true, okay? Whether you feel it or not. 
If, if condemnation as an objective reality has been removed, then there is no legitimate place for condemnation as a subjective experience. What's that mean? Well, I, I feel condemned. I don't care what you feel. You're not if you're in Christ. You've got to learn by what, you've got to live by what you know and not what you feel. Feelings change. We're moody. Sorry, if you're into your feelings, you're not living by what is true about you. Because he says, those that are in Christ, that are walking by faith, there is no condemnation. So it matters little that you feel it. Make your feelings come in line with what is true. Your feelings need to be subservient. All right. I'm going to have to teach on this. I can tell. So why are we different from the animals? Because we stand upright. That means my head rules over my heart and my belly and my sexual desire. Animals are on all fours. That means their head, their heart, their body, and their sexual desire are in line. You understand that? That means all of them are equal, not with me. My head, right? That's why I put on the helmet of salvation. Because when I put on the helmet of salvation, then my heart, my feelings, my stomach, right, my desire, and my sexual desire is under the submission of what I know. See, to insist on feeling guilty is another way of insisting on helping God with our salvation. I've heard people say this all the time. Oh, well, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Are you holier than God? That's what you're saying. I've got a standard that's above God's. God said if you confess it and you're sincere and turn from it, I'll forgive you. But you say, oh, no, I couldn't forgive myself for that. Are you superior to a morally blameless being? Come on now. See, how deeply embedded in human nature is the influence of works righteousness? We want to work for it. We don't like anything. We don't value things we don't work for. Right? The difficulties of Romans 7, I hope you've read Romans 7. If not, go back and read it. But that's the one where Paul said, that that I would do, I wind up not doing. Right? And what I don't want to do, I wind up doing. Right? It's self-imposed. It shows the natural outcome of failing to appropriate the Spirit of God. The victory of Romans 8 results from living in vital union with Christ Jesus, sustained and empowered by the Spirit of God. What he's showing is someone who has the Spirit in Romans 7, but who doesn't live according to the Spirit. I always like to do this when I was a traveling evangelist. I would ask them, how many of you got the Holy Ghost, right? Well, let me ask you, how many of you got the Holy Ghost? Well, none of you? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Y'all seen me do this before. That's why you didn't raise your hands. And then I would say, well, that's the problem. It's supposed to have you. You're not supposed to have it. It's supposed to have you. It's in control, right? He's in control if you like that better. He's in control. Not you. 
But we got it, right? We got it on a short leash, right? And our personality is governing what we let the Spirit do. So the Spirit is worship, worship, dance in the Spirit. And we're like, no, no, that's not my personality. Huh? You think your personality, I thought you were a new creature in Christ Jesus. I thought old things had passed away and all things had become new. Why is your old personality governing the power, resurrection power of the Spirit in a church service? Because you're not controlled by the Spirit. You have it, but you're not controlled by it. That's why Paul said in the book of Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Spirit. And he uses analogy right before that. He said, don't be filled with wine where is in excess, right? But be filled with the Spirit. Why did he use wine? He's trying to teach you a metaphor, okay? You ever been full on wine? You ever been crunk? Let me get real with you. You are not yourself. You are not yourself, are you? You go go somewhere, go to a club somewhere. I know you're like, oh my God, Pastor, what do you say? Just go and stand somewhere and watch the shy people who won't dance. Watch after they have about four beers. They're not themselves anymore, right? Because they're under the influence. What was Paul saying? In the same way that the alcohol has influence over them, allow the spirit to be influential over you. That's why you see somebody with their hands up speaking in tongues. They're not strange. They're allowing the spirit to have his way. When you see somebody start dancing in the Holy Ghost, they're not strange. They're allowing the Spirit to have its way. We're worried what people think, aren't we? To allow the Spirit to have its way. Well, you know, that cute guy over there, he might see me doing that. and He might not like that. If he doesn't like that, that's his problem. I've never understood this false dichotomy between the club and church. I've never understood that. Between the sacred and the spiritual. I've never understood that. People in the club are celebrating something. I don't know what. Being broke, possibly. I don't. <laughs> but it's okay there. But when you come in here, all of a sudden it's not. That bothers me. Because I got something to celebrate. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Thank God for his amazing grace. I got to celebrate that. I got to celebrate what he's done. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, we, we're still letting peers and the culture determine what is appropriate in the church. I watch these things all the time where people say, well, I don't go to church because of this and because of this. Let me tell you something. You can't choose a church as a lost person on what you like because you don't know what you should like as a lost person. 
That went over bad, didn't it? You don't know what to like. So, so yeah, it should make you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> right? If you're lost and you're without God, the Spirit should make you a little uncomfortable. It should make you want to go to the altar to remedy the problem. <laughs> That's what it should do. If you're totally comfortable and you're far off from God, then that's the church you don't want to be in. (laughs) You hear me? That's the one you don't want to be in that makes you comfortable in your lostness. (laughs) That's the one you don't want to be in. See, the law was unable to overpower the malignant dynamism of sin. Legalism... Legislation is ill-equipped to conquer a vital force. Okay, the problem, however, did not lie in the inherent weakness of the law itself. Its demands were thwarted by the debilitating influence of our fallen nature. Uh, the New English Bible says that our lower nature robbed, robbed the law of its potency. Law can stimulate sin, but when it comes to overcoming it, our sinful nature undermines the law's best efforts. The law is not a problem. Remember, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. What's the lawful use of the law? To convict sinners of sin. An unlawful use of the law is to use it as the grounds of our acceptance or justification before God. Right? Right? So if I preach the law, I'm trying to reach a specific group of people to say, you're not measuring up. You think you can measure up. You think you're good enough, but you're not. you got to be perfect. He that sinneth in one point is guilty of all. Right? That's how we all came to the altar. So when you come to the altar, don't worry about it that you've had a life that's a mess. Don't worry. It doesn't matter if somebody lived their whole life in church and they didn't come to the altar. They're 14 and they only told a few white lies. When they come, they come guilty of all. That's the way the law works. You either keep it all and you're perfect or you're guilty of all of it. That's the way it works. So you shouldn't feel condemnation when you come. Only God knows what's in your heart anyway. I don't. To live according to the flesh is to live with one's horizon bounded by the flesh. That's why you can't reach the heights because you're bounded by the flesh. You live by its concerns, its desires. To live like this is death. There's a certainty, right? We can't live that way. Real life is not possible when we succumb to the body's deeds. We must renounce all such deeds if we're to experience life in the spirit, right? What does it say? You say, well, how do I overcome the flesh? How do I overcome my desires? The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Our problem is we try to kill the flesh. Good luck. That job won't be done until you're glorified. You only put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit, not by your willpower. Not by your discipline. Only by the Spirit. You can't do it without the Spirit. If you don't have the power of the Holy Ghost, you're going to find this a difficult job. Because you're trying in your own power. That's why the Holy Ghost is a must. That's why Paul said, those without the Spirit are none of mine. Right? We have to have the Spirit. It's not a knowledge problem. It's not an information problem. It's a heart problem. 
I need that old heart taken out and I need a new heart put in and a new spirit to will and do his pleasure in me. See, look, when I'm telling you to do this stuff, this is not because some meritorious achievement is required for us in a way of earning life. It is because the two are incompatible. The one excludes the other. There is living that is death, and there is putting to death that is life. That's the upside-down kingdom. If you live to yourself and you... Get all the desires that the culture says, even though they call that's living, that's dying. But if you live to the Spirit and to honor God, right, and you put to death the stuff, then you're actually living the Zeo life. In the full sense, only Christ has fulfilled all the law's requirements. But when we are in Him, we're in our measure, begin to live a kind of life that God would have us live if we are in Christ. Romans 8, 2 says, The Spirit has freed me from the law of sin and death. And Paul talks about this in chapter 7. He said, I find then a principle that evil is present with me. When? When I would do good, evil is present. It's internal. It's not external. Okay? I never tell anybody, you should straighten up. You should do this. I was like, no, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You need to walk in fellowship with the Holy Ghost. And when you do, it will start its process. You can't even start to be holy until you're full of the Holy Ghost. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you, you're going to find that frustrating if you're trying to do it in your willpower. I'll tell you too, some of the crustiest people I've ever met are those kind of people. Crusty. Well, pastor told me to do it and I did it. What's your problem? Why do they do this? Why have they? When I got the Holy Ghost, I just quit everything, lined up right away. Well, I don't know if they even have the same Holy Ghost. You cannot judge someone unless you know where they started. You, you can't judge by progress. You've got to know where they started. Then, once you know where they started, then you can look at the progress. And maybe you can know something. Right? But most people I know are a long way from where they started. Yeah, they're not who they need to be. And they haven't broken every habit. But my God, they're not who they used to be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Now, watch this very carefully because a lot of people get messed up here. And I had some troll come onto my Facebook page and try to debate me on this. And I had to say, be gone. When Paul talks about the law, he has two concepts in mind, but he uses one word for both concepts, okay? He means, in one instance, a code of conduct, right? Understand, the law doesn't save us. The law didn't save Israel. Israel was already freed from Egypt when it got the law. All right? It was 
How do we live as free people in a way that honors the God who freed us? That's what the law is about. Okay? That's what it's about. So he means sometimes a code of conduct. Other times, he means this principle of radical self-centeredness that's going on in us. There's a principle of radical self-centeredness called the law of sin and death. When Paul talks about that, he sometimes means one or the other. We are free from the law only as a grounds of our justification and acceptance with God. But we are not free from the law as a right way to live as saved sons and daughters. So, so here's what happens. The law was my schoolmaster. What did it do? It brought me to Christ. What did it teach me? You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. You're not good enough. I know you tried. You keep trying, but you're still a sinner. That's what it teaches us. So what? We go to Christ. And we say, will you save me? Because I can't keep this. It's too hard. I'm not good enough. And Christ says, yeah, I'll give you my righteousness. I perfectly obeyed. And so I'll credit that to your account based on your faith and your repentance. You ever get money credited to your account? Isn't that nice? Uh, sorry, sir, we overcharged you by $300. We're crediting that back to your account. You're like, oh, hallelujah. Praise God. You know what God did? He credited a non-condemnation status to your account. Based on your faith and your repentance in Him, He credited it to you. Not because you're worthy of it, not because your repentance or baptism made you worthy of it, but because He's that good. He's that good. Credit it to your account, right? And then he says, since you're my son and daughter and I've adopted you, now the law, I send you back to the law, empowered by the Spirit, to learn how to resemble me. Here's the problem with Christianity. We want the non-condemnation status, but we don't want to keep the house rules of the new house that adopted us from orphanage. You know how ungrateful that is? To be, have no father, to be called in off the street, put into a house, given the name, given a non-condemnation status and say, I don't believe I have to live that way. That's ungrateful. That's saying, I like the house and I like the name, but I don't want to live by your rules. Just let that sit for a minute. Just let that sit for a minute. You're still in control. You haven't surrendered. You just want God to take away your sins. You want him to take away the consequences of your sin and leave the causes. The causes is your self-centered heart that hasn't changed it still thinks I'm smart I know what to do let me tell you something you're not smart compared to the guy who spoke the world into existence I'm not smart compared to the guy who can computate the physics in his head and then speak it into existence and hold it at 28 degrees you're not that smart I don't care how well read you are. I don't care if you have a degree in philosophy. You're not that smart. But we read the word and, and we think, oh my gosh. That, 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 uh, compared to our culture, our culture is, we think we're evolving as a culture. We're evolving. 
We've left that primitive stuff in the past, that archaic primitive stuff. We're, we're evolved, we're illuminated. You're deceived. We're not evolving, we're devolving. We're not evolved, we're not smart. We, 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 we think we are, right? You understand what that's like to be the creator of the world? And, and I know you, you guys give to charity and maybe you help orphans. And I appreciate all of that. But never bring that to God as your, as your resume. You know what he'll say? Um, try not having a selfish thought for eternity. <laughs> then get back to me. With your resume. Right? That's what we do, right? We give our resume what we've done and what we failed to do and what we, what we didn't do. You know? you know what he says? Try giving your life for people who are ungrateful for it. And come back to me and talk to me about your resume. See... We, we are free from the law only as a grounds of justification. Jeremiah says the law was inscribed on our hearts in the new covenant. How could we be free of a code of conduct? We're free from the principle of selfish, radical selfishness. That's what we're free of. Ezekiel says in chapter 36, Moreover, I give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and put uh, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. How can I be free of a code of conduct that he's causing me to walk in? Amen. What was external, right? Here's the difference between the law and the spirit. What was external and threatening as a deterrent to evil is now internal and willing and empowering you for good. That's the difference. When we were saved, the sentence of death was passed on the flesh. The spirit was given to carry out the sentence. The Holy Ghost is the executioner of the flesh. You know how it works in a courtroom, right? The jury comes back and they say, hey, he's guilty, right? And then you get the sentencing from the judge. But just because you're sentenced, you could be on death row for a long time. As new believers, we're all on death row as far as the flesh is concerned. We're all on death row waiting for the execution date. That's why Paul said, I die daily to the flesh. I die to my own desires. I do what pleases God. I do what has eternal significance over what has temporary pleasure and comfort. Right? Romans 8.13 says, but if, the spirit, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The lower nature does not automatically fade away when you come to Christ and are filled with the Spirit. The need to put to death the evil practice of the body is ongoing. It is a daily fight. Right? The way to crucify the old self is to obey the promptings of the Spirit. When we walk in fellowship with the indwelling Spirit, the desires of the lower nature are not fulfilled. Right? You don't have to try to kill the flesh, right? You walk in the Spirit in fellowship. That's why prayer and fasting are so important. Although there may be times in a Christian's life when a snapshot would show a person living according to the flesh, over time, 
there would, there would be evidence of progress. Okay? God doesn't take a snapshot of your life and say, that's who you are. Because you were fleshly at that moment. He looks at the total. Okay? I'm going to show you this very carefully. I'm going to need somebody to help me right here. Uh, the relation of the Spirit to the sons of God is presented much like a shepherd to sheep. They are led by Him as their guide and protector. These are the sons of God that are led by the Spirit. We are not left to our own wisdom or lack of it. It is these people then, those led by the Spirit who are the sons and daughters of God. We should understand the leading of the Spirit as the distinguishing sign of God's Son. Right? So, let me show you this. Riley, come help me. So, since you're leaving, I'm going to let you be the Holy Ghost, okay? And I'll be the sinner. <laughs> so... This is the analogy, right? I'm following the Spirit. I'm walking in the Spirit. Start walking. Even if I lag behind, I'm still following. Even if I'm off her line a little bit, I'm still following. You with me? Even if I'm off a little bit, even if I run ahead, now I'm not following. See, this impatience in our culture that you want everything now, that's what's getting you in trouble. It's not, it's not that you're not perfect. It's not that, you know, all back here, I'm following. I could be lagging way behind, but I can still see the shepherd, right? I'm not right in step with the shepherd. I might be off the path a little bit. I might be deviating. But this is the problem right here. I want what I want, and I want it now. And I don't care what you think. And because I know you're merciful, I'll, I'll abuse your grace, and I'll go ahead and do it now and ask for forgiveness later. Thank you. Thank you. That's all following. I was following. Was I perfectly following? Was I right on her heels all the time? No, nor will you. The question is, are you following? God's not taking a snapshot and going, wow, they're lagging behind. Are you following or have you raced ahead and decided to do it your way that you know best? Now, listen to the irony of that. You don't mean that when you race ahead, but that's what you're saying. I'm just giving you the words. Right? Well, I just don't. I just can't wait on God anymore. I'm just going to well, go ahead. Run into that brick wall. Go ahead. You know the way. Yeah, you, you've got all the spiritual answers. Go ahead. Oh, I've been so tempted, but I'm, I'm too nice a pastor, but I've been tempted just to say it. Run, go ahead. Do it. <laughs> That's why I always say, is that what the Spirit is saying? Is that what the Word says? No, that's what I want. All right, well, you can only get what... What you're capable of, you can't get what God's capable of. You with me? All right, I got to hurry. It's 1119. I'm going to be finished by 1130. Is that okay? Is that okay? Y'all still with me? Y'all kind of quiet today. What's wrong with y'all? I got to tell some more jokes, don't I? Wake y'all up. I was sorry last week. I was, I was messing with some people, and I did not mean to be insensitive, but... 
for those of you who like country and western music, I like it too. I like George Strait. I like, I like chicken fried steak taters. Okay, I like that too. I like pho. Hold the pho on. Right? You know what pho is? Whoa, that's a soup, man. That's awesome, bro. Love that. Love it. Yeah? I, I like all that stuff, right? And that's not cultural appropriation. Culture is culture. <laughs> it is what it is. Right? I like that hot Thai food. Come on, somebody help me in Jesus' name. The hotter, the better. Here's what I'm going to tell you about Thai food. I can have it at a five. I can eat it as a five. But if it's got noodles in it, there's something about the noodles that makes it hotter. I can eat it with rice. But if I get it with noodles, I'm on fire. Praying, God, put it out. Put it out. See, when some people read the deeds of the body and some apostolics read putting to death the deeds of the body, they think I have to eschew physical pleasure, don't have fun, live an ascetic lifestyle. The law of sin and death is the bent of your nature that wants to be your own Lord and Savior. That's what you have to get rid of. It is not not have fun, not laugh, not go anywhere, not do anything except pray. I challenge you to try that for a while to do nothing but pray. So, I want to show you something. Anybody ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? And I'll quit. Chariots of Fire? Great movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's about uh, two people. Eric Liddell, or Little, but it's L-I-D-D-E-L, okay? And Harold Abrams, okay? Uh, Both British people. Well, Little was from Scotland, but, you know, hey. But Harold Abrams, if you go watch the movie, he would say stuff like this. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. He would run with agony. He would run with, with anxiety because if he didn't win, he was dejected. He, he, he didn't know how to. He was trying to justify his existence by running. He had to prove something. It was his performance that gave him a sense of who he was. Whereas Eric... Little, his, da- his, his sister Janet said, hey, you, you're, his parents were missionaries, and she would say, you're made for China. God's going to send you to China. And I love what he says. He said, Janet, God made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Two different approaches. You see this? One is the flesh. One is the spirit. Okay? I want you to see this. You want to know how to overcome the flesh? You can't fight it with willpower. It loves to work. It loves to work, but it wants to take credit for the work. Right? The Pharisees' problem wasn't how they lived. It was their motivation for why they did it, to be seen of men. Somebody to come by and say, Rabbi, oh, wasn't that a lovely prayer? Didn't you give a big offering? They wanted to be seen. Some of you want to be seen, and it bugs you when you're not seen. And you say, well, I'm not as fastidious about obedience as they are. It doesn't matter. It works both ways. You can be liberal in a Pharisee. (laughs) 
See, I don't try to change the destination. The destination is the same for me as a pastor. I want you to be holy. I just changed the motivation. Your way of being holy was I'm afraid all the time that I'm going to hell, so I'm going to be holy because I'm afraid. I try to change it that I'm so grateful for what he's done for me in the past that I want to be like him. I'm so thankful for being adopted. I want to be holy, and I'm going to pursue holiness, not out of fear of hell, but out of desire to be like my father. I'm going to do it because God has pleasure in it. And there's a part in the movie where you can watch this, where Eric Liddell wins the 400. He was guaranteed, probably, they thought he was the favorite to win the 100 meters in 1924 in Paris. But his heat was on a Sunday. And he said, I can't do that. That's my day of worship. And so he pulled from the 100 meters. Harold Abrams won the 100 meters. And so the heat he could run in was the 400, which he had no experience in. But he runs the 400 and wins. And at the end of the 400, as he's coming into the tape, he's running like this. And his sister said, that's the way he would run. He would run with this goofy smile on his face. And as he ended, it was worship. It wasn't agony. It wasn't exertion. It was worship. Those are the two ways. You can say, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. And if I'm not in the top three, I'm nobody. Or you can say, it doesn't matter where I end. God made me fast and I feel his pleasure when I run. I feel his pleasure when I run. I feel his joy when I do what he made me to do. See, worshiping is a lifestyle. It's not a ritual for Sundays. Worship is when I feed the poor. I'm worshiping when I feed the poor. When I walk in righteousness and overcome temptation. That's worship. I do it to him because he's good and he's loved me and cared for me and filled me with his spirit. That's worship. When I clothe the naked, that's worship. When I go to the prison, when I go to the hospital, that's worship. I don't go because I have to. I don't go because they expect it of me. I go because I worship him by helping others. That's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh, do it. You ought to do it. You need to do it. You're not going to grow if you don't do it. I'm not against discipline. Don't get me wrong. But my question is, what is the motivation for the discipline? What is your motivation? Is it worship? You discipline yourself because you know your flesh and you're worshiping? Or you discipline yourself so that when someone asks you how long you pray, you could say three hours. I can't answer that question for you. <laughs> Woo. See, when you turn the other cheek and you refuse to gossip and you refuse to pay evil for evil, that's worship. I got my hands in the air. I got my head back. See, one, one man was running to honor his maker. The other was trying to be his God. That's the difference between the flesh wants to be its own God. It wants to be its own authority. It wants to save itself. And it thinks it can. I saw this advertisement. And I want to give you this last example. I saw this advertisement. 
And it said, was for cosmetic. And it said, color me woman, color me beautiful, color me wanted. Boy, these marketers know what they're doing, don't they? Color me woman, color me beautiful, color me wanted. This is, this is how marketing appeals to the flesh. And it's, I want to be wanted. Guess what, honey? You already are. By someone far superior to any man you'll ever meet. You're already accepted. You're already justified. And guess what? We, we, it's a billion dollar industry to be beautiful. You know what God says about beauty in one verse? He puts it in his perspective. Beauty is vain. And comeliness is deceitful. You know what's beautiful to God? You're faithful to church when you don't have to be. You know what's beautiful to God? When he watches you worship him and know that you're worshiping him with empty pockets and an empty bank account. Amen. That's beautiful. Don't fall for this faux stuff that's in the culture. Don't fall for it. Anybody can change their complexion in five minutes, but character takes work. Character. Character takes work. Character takes saying no to the flesh and no to my desires and worshiping Him because you made me beautiful like I am. That's the flesh's approach. We'll show you how to attain the applause of the culture. We'll put them on the magazine so that you can look up to them. See, the flesh's approach is I got to do something to become acceptable and beautiful in the eyes of God. The Spirit's approach is you're already justified and accepted by what your Savior did for you. You don't have to do anything except learn to worship. Hallelujah. And learn to follow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then the flesh says, well, if I'm beautiful enough, finally someone will want me. What's your motive? It's not God's applause. It's somebody else's. What's your motive? It's not the issue itself. It's not the cosmetic itself. It's what's your motive? Right? Woo, it got quiet in here. See, there are people in our culture who are controlled by others' opinions and acceptance. But they're not controlled by God's opinion and His acceptance. Because Jesus was condemned, you're not. Look underneath your problems. You don't look deep enough. Unless I have this, I'm not valuable. What are you saying about that in your life? Unless I have this, I'm not valuable. Unless I make this amount of money, I'm not valuable. You're trying to save yourself and be your own God? Yes, you are. You have not accepted what he did for you. It's not valuable enough for you. You still think there's something, the culture that could give you that will fulfill you and make you significant. Everything that the culture offers you will ultimately come your master. That's fine. You want to be great in a career? Are you going to give it 80 hours a week? And sacrifice your family? Because they're going to ask for a sacrifice. You want to be partner? Okay, maybe it's 90 hours a week. You're going to work 90 hours a week? Leave your wife to raise your kids so you can be partner? 
Because you think when you finally arrive, you're going to be fulfilled. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get that job, you'll get that promotion, and your family's going to be gone. Well, if I get that PhD, people will finally listen to me. I'm working on a master's degree right now, okay? I'm doing it out of worship because I love him. I love to learn about him. And the more I learn about him, the more my value and my worship and my estimation of him goes up. You with me? See, when we're driven by the flesh, we're driven, driven. Notice, we're driven by the flesh to attain, to gain status, right? By trying to attain, I'm denying the cross and I'm trying to save myself. I don't need anything beyond the cross to, to lead a no condemnation life. I will not denigrate the cross by elevating temporal things. I won't do it. I won't do it. You denigrate the cross when you elevate this stuff. You realize I don't want to accumulate gold. It's pavement where I'm going. So much of it. It's in the walls. It's in the gates. It doesn't give me security that I have it in my account. My security is in the fact that Jesus died for me. And whether I die in a tragic accident or of old age, I'm going up. I'm not afraid of the undertaker because I know the upper taker. There's nothing in this world for me. You got to get to that place. I know some of you young ones, you're like, what is he talking about? You'll get there. You'll get there. But I understand wanting to be a professional baseball player. I understand that as a kid. I understand idolizing all that. I'm here to tell you, you need to go talk to a few of them. They'll let you in. Just send them an email and say, hey, are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? So all that money and all that fame and those endorsements, has it finally fulfilled the longing of your soul? Or is there still something missing? Ask Deion Sanders. He was, he was honest enough to admit it. But we can't learn from that. We want to try it ourselves. I'll be different. Right? We love to, to spend theoretical money, don't we? Make it rain with the, theoretical money, right? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. We love it. Theoretical money is easy to spend in the right way. Real money is more difficult. I hear people all the time, if I win a lottery, the first thing I'm going to do is pay my tithe. Hmm. You bargaining with God to make you win, right? I can really help the church, you know. Then I'm going to help myself after that. Even King David, who was a man after God's own heart, built his house before he built God's house. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. All right, stand with me. I'm done. follow can you follow can you just follow I know you're going to lag behind sometimes you're going to be off the line you're not going to be perfect but can you keep him in sight can you
you stay behind him? Can you trust him? I told y'all this a few years ago. I'm going to end with this. I'm sorry. It just came to me. There's a Hebrew word. It's called aharit. Aharit, the way we interpret it in the, in the English, is that we, we call it the hinder parts of God. It's used, not the whole term, but a base term for it is used when he said, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rocks. You can see my hinder parts. But it has really nothing to do with that because that's not a good translation. Aharit is how a Hebrew orients themselves to time. What a Hebrew does is they turn their back on the future. Why? Because behind them, if you're a Hebrew, behind you is the Red Sea crossing and leaving Israel. It's in line with where I'm going. So if you've ever rowed a boat, right, with two rows, if you turn your head to look, you're going to shorten one stroke or the other and you're going to get off. you got to keep your shoulders square. All right? Okay? But we as Americans, we as Westerners, we want to face the future. We're, I got to see where I'm going. I got to see what's happening. I got to plan. I got to prepare, right? Some of you got to, how, how many of you got a go bag? It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> a bug out bag. I'm sorry. Bug out bag. It's okay. Right? But yeah, that's us. That's, we've got a plan. So the Hebrew says, I know what he's done for me in the past and he's the same God yesterday and forever. So I know that what I'm looking at behind me as I'm rowing is in line with home. I don't have to look. Okay? Now watch. That's strong for a Hebrew. But it's even stronger for us because what's in line with us is the cross. So I got the cross in my sight. And that's in line with heaven. I know that. So I don't have to look back. It doesn't matter what comes or may. That God who died for me on the cross is going to help me with this stuff. I don't have to see it coming. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to keep rolling because I know heaven is behind me. And guess what? Watch this. When the troubles come into your view, into your periphery, you see them in relation to Him. If you turn and face them this way, you see them without Him. That's why you retract. That's why you retreat. Oh my God, that's coming. I, I just got a bad diagnosis. But if you'll turn your back on it, and when it comes into view, you'll see it in relationship to the Father. And then you'll go, it ain't no big deal. God got me through the sin. God got me through my lost condition. He's going to get me through this. You got to turn your back on it. You got to reorient yourself. And look at that cross every day and just keep rowing. Hallelujah. You've got to reorient your thinking. And you look at that cross and that tells me everything I need to know about my future. Because I know that's in line with heaven. And I'm going to get there. I may lag behind the shepherd every once in a while. I may be off the path a little bit. But I still got him in my view. Praise God. And I'm going to follow him all the way. And if I walk in the spirit, I'll live a life that others dream of. I'll have significance that everybody's trying to find in the world. I'll have value. I'll have self-worth that comes from Him. If you want to walk in the Spirit, just step out from where you are today.